Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast universe of lore behind the Mass Effect games. We'll talk about all the details you may have missed, ask the hard questions, and more. Spectres, welcome back to the 25th episode of the Mass Effect Lorecast. Holy moly, where does the time go? This is your host, Tom Robots, and I'm back with our Mass Effect lore specialist, the Spectre himself, and Seven, the Legend. What's up, buddy? How you doing? I'm glad that you said specialist and not like master or expert because every week I'm I'm researching these episodes and and every week I'm finding more and more evidence of how much I don't know about this game. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, having done a number of these lore casts where I'm the one doing the research, I absolutely understand the feeling that is yes <laughs> that's how it goes so um yeah like yeah. every week i'm just like wow i am much dumber than i thought well, and that, that kind of goes for life too it's just ignorance like you know it's the einsteinian bubble right the larger the bubble of yeah. knowledge gets the more it butts up against information you didn't realize you didn't know so yeah that's mm. just kind of how it goes but uh yeah man we're we're moving on with our episode two or our part two of the alliance so we've got some more stuff to dig into. If you thought we were done talking about the Alliance, oh no, oh no, we have a whole nother episode because there's more to discuss. So oh, yes, yes, there is. <laughs> and we have a, we have a lot more to go through. Yeah. So where do we where do we pick this back up from? Where do we start off? So I think when we left off last episode, we had just discussed that space travel proved to be incredibly costly for the individual nations of Earth. And that need coupled with the discovery of the Prothean observation facility on Mars, it results in this larger government being formed with the wealth and the military might of all of Earth's 18 most powerful countries combined. Right. So, and as, uh, as we mentioned last week, it's, it's more or less the overarching government of humanity, but it wasn't always thought of like this. In fact, at first it, at first, it, it begins as this military exploratory necessity with very little political power outside of the realms of defense and research. Um, in the game, it's referred to as quote unquote supranational, which means its authority supersedes that of any one nation, which by the start of Mass Effect 1, and certainly during the Reaper War, is proven true. However, and I, and I want to throw a little shout out here to one of our uh, listeners, there's a little known inconsistency across the games in how the Alliance's political power is framed. Uh, we were made aware of this by one very astute listener. Uh, thank you to Anna. Um, apparently in Mass Effect 2 and 3, the Codex says the Alliance possesses supranational authority outside the Sol system, taking responsibility for all extrasolar colonies. 
it does not make that same stipulation, I believe, in the original Mass Effect 1 codex entry, but Earth itself is still divided among nation states. So there leaves this inconsistency and this question about sovereignty and legality. Um, you can imagine this larger government sometimes butting heads with the individual nations of Earth, which still insist that they are sovereign. Interesting that that. Yeah, that's a, a weird dynamic. This idea that you have like this large, powerful extra national or supranational entity outside of the planet and yet the planet itself is still divided that's that's really odd so um okay so what causes the alliance itself to gain political power so there's another kind of gap in the lore that i ran into when i was looking this up because i was looking for a smoking gun but it's not so black and white like that it's it's more nuanced there's not a lot written in the lore that explicitly says oh this right here is the exact moment the nations of earth decided to give up large parts of their uh, power their sovereignty to a greater power mm -hmm. but we as the players are led to believe that the first contact war really propelled this evolution okay that makes sense I mean, it seems like a dire situation in most uh, political situations where large amounts or where there are large changes in uh, expansions of power usually come from um, very dire situations to the safety of, say, the populace or threats of significant danger. So that, yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Yeah. And that's that's the case here as well, um, because, you know, the first contact war, it may have only lasted a few months, and it didn't have many casualties, about 632, I believe, human casualties. Not that costly of a war from that perspective. Mm -hmm. um, so that raises the question, why was this the inflection point? Right. Uh, well, so this next part is my own speculation here. Just, But personally, I think there's a few reasons we can infer from what we already know in the lore. Um, from the time humanity, this is the first reason, from the time humanity left the soul system to the moment that the first contact war started, they were expanding willy-nilly, just settling every world they could, opening every mass relay. They got their filthy little phalanges on. <laughs> willy-nilly and the filthy phalanges. <laughs> oh, there's no. the next band. <laughs> there's oh, no. the next band. I swear, <laughs> the country I'm, I'm really not trying to do this. <laughs> oh, no. They're the country act with the banjo. Uh, hey, howdy, old. This is Willie Fernilli and the Filthy Flanges. Come on down. <laughs> it's it's similar to um, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, if you've ever seen that. <laughs> I'm the man of constant sorrow. No, it, it needs to be something other than the man of constant sorrow. It needs to be like the, um, I don't know. We need to pick one of the races. It would. They could sing like... Um, I'm proud to be an Earthican, where <laughs> no. at least I know I'm free. <laughs> All right. Anyway. They're part of the terra firma party. Um, I'm the Turian of constant sorrow. <laughs> I, I, I swore that I was going to bring this back around. <laughs> they're, they're part of the, the pro-Earth party. They're probably like big into Cerberus and whatnot. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. But they were expanding, uh, you know, consequences be damned. And so humans living on, on worlds other than Earth probably wanted political representation. You know, that whole pesky no taxation 
without representation thing. It's been kind of an issue in the past. Um, But if if these exploratory efforts were multinational in nature, then that also raises another conundrum. Who had the jurisdiction over them? The alliance? Because the alliance at this point was just a military and exploratory conglomeration of the different countries' space programs. But the alliance didn't have a legitimate like governmental system there was no bureaucracy in place at that time so clearly there are some self-governance concerns here right okay yep and so that's just the first reason the second reason why i i I think that um why i think that this was the inflection point the first contact war is because uh, of course, humanity's first encon- encounter with an alien, intelligent alien species didn't go too well. Uh, and, and as we talked about in episode two, the fear of aliens spreads very quickly after that. And, and mm-hmm. while it creates this stark division between humanity and everything else, along with some xenophobia, it likewise exaggerates some growing unity among other humans. This quote unquote, you know, we must come together to defend our own if we want to stand a chance. Um, and as as we know throughout history and in times of crisis and when presented with overwhelming opposition, groups of people often sacrifice individual liberties for collective security. Right, right. And that's what I was, I was talking about before. I, I can imagine that this became a very easy political platform for most of the uh, the <laughs> the currently in power world leaders to rally uh, under. Yeah, I can imagine it was probably, you know, in in the universe, it was probably something along the lines of support the troops, you know, mm-hmm. who what what political leader in the United States would want to or even try to get elected by saying, no, you know what? I don't support the troops. Yeah, right. Yeah, like, <laughs> hmm, I don't agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Nope. Not a good platform. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not going to not going to produce votes. Um, I, I'm actually no- not for us. Uh, no. Yeah, no, they're not going to say that. You know, in the, in the fight against cancer, have we even considered the other side? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Um, so there, there is a third reason, a practical, a very practical reason to why the first contact war is this inflection point I'm talking about. And that's because after the Alliance decides to take the fight to the Turians and liberate Shanxi, the Citadel Council steps in, negotiates the peace treaty, which doesn't really have any severe penalties against humanity like forfeiting colonies or anything like that. The alliance becomes very popular after that because in humanities, you know, perception, they just won this war against this alien species that's so far advanced and could have easily kicked their ass, you know, but they just won this war and then they got off scot-free for it. Um, all of a sudden there is this very strong need um well before i get there uh the the alliance becomes very popular and like i said and this this series of events along with its popularity introduces all of humanity to the galactic community and all of a sudden uh there is this strong need for humanity to interact with the milky way with one voice and the alliance founds its parliament so three reasons put quite simply humanity knew that it needed the alliance you know that like after this event they were selling alliance t-shirts and stickers like the alliance like everybody was flying an alliance flag 
like this became the thing everyone rallied around right like yeah this like became, war bonds <laughs> yes it, yeah this became like the household thing like everybody like 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 post uh 9-11 you know every american had an american flag outside their house and a t-shirt and like like all of that stuff like you were pro-american because america needed you and 9-11 blah, blah 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 this this is the sort of thing right like oh we were attacked by aliens and we stood up against them and we kicked their butts and it was the alliance that did it we all came together and we did it together pro we defended humanity we defended humanity and the alliance did it because we all came together pro-alliance like it, you know that that's right that's exactly what would have happened here and it would have had very kumbaya tones to it too because you have <laughs> these soldiers from different nations kumbaya <laughs> yeah you have these soldiers from different nations who were previously you know at, at odds with each other but now they've come together against a common enemy and they're fighting side by side defending humanity um and so yeah not a hard sell like you said so now after they found their alliance because like i said humanity needed that one voice to interact with the galaxy uh with the alliance functions as more than just a defense branch parliament um or for other american folks who are unfamiliar with the term parliament means basically congress um, it helps unified responses to crises issues and topics of galactic importance like interstellar trade and mm -hmm. since it's humanity's avenue for having that one voice in politics, the Alliance supplies an ambassador, later a counselor, to the Citadel. Um, and the first human ambassador is actually named Anita Doyle. Interesting person. She's pretty bold, um, but seems to be fair. And we're first introduced to her in the book Mass Effect Revelation, the first of the trilogy of books that Drew Carpishan wrote as a companion piece to the trilogy. Um, highly encourage again going to check those out really awesome series gives you a good insight into the political situation that the alliance is basically in uh prior to the first contact war and then shortly thereafter um but by the beginning of mass effect one and actually before then in in 2165 humanity already has an embassy uh at the citadel so this is really only years like several years after the first contact war uh that they gain an embassy on the citadel and this is a big feat you know as we've mentioned in other episodes before like the volus episode on uh, maybe the elcor episode these other races some of them are pretty unhappy with humanity's quick uh, or with the council's quick acceptance of humanity because some of these races have spent a ton of time working for that recognition working for that political influence that clout and some still don't have their own embassy like the volus um right, right. so and humanity goes to war with one of the galactic peacekeeping species uh <laughs> wins the war and eight years later has an embassy on the citadel america you know it, it yeah it, it basically like right. it's pretty unbelievable like the boldness of it <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like wow mm -hmm. uh if you were one of these other client race species you'd probably look at it like humans and just think fucking dicks <laughs> oh yeah like, these guys yeah, yeah, we show up and we're like, you know, we kick somebody's butt and we're like, that's right. And we better get a seat at the council. Yeah, it's showing up late, like right. hamburger on their shirt and shit. Right, right. We're like, we're like the, um, I don't know, like, like the bully in the 80s, like teen show 
that shows right. up and Doyle expects, rules. Right, right. And we expect to be like treated special because we're like the, you know, the popular kid in class. And everyone else is like, what? No. No, you don't get to do that. The Systems Alliance Parliament, uh, which is housed at Arcturus Station. Yes, the same station that's been completely destroyed by Reapers in Mass Effect 3 is led by a prime minister. Um, and, you know, uh, it also coordinates the governance of each co- of, of Earth's colonies. And it reserves some political seats for what they call spacers, um, because the spacers need representation as well. They're people who spend their lives in space, not planet side long enough to be considered permanent residents of any one uh, body. Did you we, did you get a chance to check out uh, The Expanse? I've only watched the first episode still. Okay. Uh, so okay. I, definitely I, I know need to watch more. Than I know that. you were thinking about checking it out this last week because uh, the, the, in that show as well, people who are born and live their lives in space off planet are called spacers. They, they go by other names as well, but sometimes they'll refer to them as spacers. I believe. I so. wonder if, if any of the writers were fans of the other content, you know what I mean? Maybe. Um, I think those books were published before mass effect became a thing. At least the first ones were, but yeah. So I would wonder if the mass effect, uh, writers yeah. were fans of the expanse, but possibly we digress. Uh, we don't know a few things about the Alliance, uh, system of government. We don't know how they award their seats. You know, is their parliament proportional to the population of these colonies or does each colony get equal representation similar to the Senate? in the United States politics. We don't know if the prime minister is appointed or elected, and we don't know just how much the alliance gives individual nations a say into its own affairs. We know that the alliance you know, respects the sovereignty, or at least in theory, respects the sovereignty of these individual nations on Earth, meaning the alliance doesn't, tries not to meddle in their affairs. But does that go both ways? I don't know. Mm. Okay. so. So this is how the alliance becomes more than just uh, a military, but like a government too. Okay, so yep. All right, so we need to go to the middle of the show, and when we come back, we're going to dive into the actual structure of the military. So we'll be back in just a minute. Message coming in. Patching it through. I am sovereign, and this station is mine. I like the sound of that. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My name is Brian Burton. It's been 26 years since the bombs fell. And since I've left the vault, 
I've been trying to rebuild. This isn't the Appalachia that I remember. There's so much more to everything going on. And I promise to find the answer. So if you're out there, if you're listening, just hone in on these coordinates. Remember, there's a place for you at the end. Omega. The Omega Broadcast Fallout Story is available on iTunes, Spotify, and many great podcasting sources. All right, so this is the middle of the show, and this is one of my favorite parts of the show because we get to thank our patrons who help us do this every week by supporting the show and making this a thing that we can do. And this is this else. This is like a side thing that helps pay for uh, for Sam to do this on the side, and also helps pay for me to do this full time as a podcaster and and running the network. So thank you to all of our patrons, and we currently have. 42, 42 patrons right now. This is amazing. And big shout outs to our three shepherds. I guess I guess there can be multiple shepherds. This is like a multiverse thing going on here. So we have um, Pipe Man, Sovereign, and Stagger and Stumble, who are our, th- our three shepherds. And man, you guys are amazing. Thank you so, so much. And just a reminder, we have new shirts and stickers on the patreon these are limited edition they will only ever be up on the patreon once they're off the patreon you can never get them again they will not be up on the store on the robots radio store and they're they're just for you guys i didn't raise the cost of the different tiers if you are currently tier four or higher then you will be getting a t-shirt in the next three months if you stay at those tiers and every three months after that you will get another t-shirt and these things look awesome if you haven't seen them yet go to patreon.com slash mass effect lorecast and check out the post with all the different images on there they are super super cool and if you are a tier three patron you'll be getting stickers so go check those up out as well so thank you to all of you guys this is just an extra thing that we could throw on there for you guys it's costing us more money to put them on there but we thought it was worth it because you guys have been so awesome and it's just a way to say you know thank you for for being there and for staying on there and, and being supportive also a reminder we have our patron episode coming up next week this is super exciting because we're going to do a fun game show sam set up a bunch of questions i'm going to host the show we're going to quiz you guys on some some questions and we're going to have a fun prize for the winner sam do you want to tell them about this (laughs) yeah uh so this is something that we found just last week i think we were trying to brainstorm to give the winner of the trivia show a kind of badge of honor to wear with pride. And I think we found the perfect thing to give them. Um, I'm not going to say too much about it, but this is something that the winner will be able to wear with pride. They will gain the honorary title of specter. And they're also going to severely impress Tom and me uh, because (laughs) some of these questions I've written are pretty hard. Yeah. So you'll be, you'll be getting an actual, uh, reward in order to show off and show that you are uh, this month's lore master. Should we call them a lore master? A lore lore caster master? Lore captain? Lore something? Lore commander? Command, command lore? lore? Commander. A command lore. Mm, Commandalorian. The, the com- mm, that's, hey, that's Star Wars. That's we can't copyrighted. do that. That doesn't make any sense. 
a lore weaver? A lore debater. Mm, now we're getting weird. That's, uh, mm. Debater rhymes with weird stuff. All right, but we also have some new reviews to, to read out, so let's get to those. We have Robert Johan, I think is how you pronounce it, from the U.S., who writes, Best Game Podcast, five stars. Mass Effect has been my all-time favorite game since it came out, and none of my friends got into it. So this feels like home and a way to nerd out that I couldn't with my friends. I got the first Mass Effect when it came out and have played all of them multiple times. I never dug super deep into the lore besides just skimming the codex when I play. The hosts are both great and it's nice to have the perspective of someone who has never fully played and one who has played multiple times. Keep up the good work. Good work. Love it. P.S. I know I'm coming late to it. Uh, came out to... I'm sorry, I know I'm coming late to when it came out, so I don't know if you covers this at the end of Mass Effect 3, the ILD man, and boy, day one more story about the Shepherd. I think there's some typos in there, maybe because this was on a phone or something, has always had me waiting for a fourth game, not Andromeda. I think that's what that was. I know to say. what he's talking about. The old man at the and the little boy there old at the man. end at the very end right. of the game. Yeah. Not old man. Um, got it. Yeah, and not we waiting, me waiting. So, yes. Uh, yeah, we're looking forward to the next game as well. And then we also, but thank you for that, Robert. And then we also have one from I am the Buttercap from the United the Buttercat from the United States who writes the perfect fit. Five stars. With over 700 hours into a franchise, I was looking for a podcast that didn't talk about gameplay and discussing how to play, but more of a deep dive into the galaxy and stories of the characters that I hold so dear. Lorecast fit the bill perfectly. So here I am, Commander Jenna Femshep, aka Pathfinder, Sapphire Rider, aka Genesis, aka Valkyrian for Life. And uh, Genesis is also one of our new patrons who we'll give another shout out to at the beginning of next month when we go through all of the patrons who signed up this month. So thank you. Thank you very much for that review and also for being one of our uh, our new patrons, Genesis. So super cool. 700 hours. Holy moly. Wow. That might that might be <laughs> actually that's definitely more than I have into the series. Uh, so that's a badge of honor in an end of itself. Yes, man. Yeah. Yeah. You should check your, uh, your hours on your, your Xbox. Do you have like a, a time on there? Un check? Yeah. Well, unfortunately I think it got rid of the original Xbox 360 hours mm. that I put into the game. So I would have no way of knowing. Yeah. Well, there you go. So yeah, but next week, make sure that you're here. Same time, same channel, same place. If you're a patron and if you haven't set up your connection to the Discord, make sure you do that. That's where all the communication is and be ready to go. We will be sharing the link on the Discord channel, on the patron Discord channel for the Zoom call. So you guys can all get in on that and we'll be setting up and ready to go right at 1030 Eastern time for the patron competition game show thing it's gonna be super fun and if you want to tune into that live make sure you're here checking us out on twitch.tv slash robots radio for that all right let's move on with the rest of the show spit it out or are you trying to build suspense you're so dense sir obviously i do not know as much about human relationships as i thought okay so we have the alliance military now right we're talking about the military and when it comes to space militaries normally we discuss them as navies 
That's usually how it goes when it's sci-fi stuff, because ships in space, it's kind of like boats. We call them Alliance Marines, right? So it's like a Navy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's basically it. That's a good point. I think the difference can be best summed up as Alliance Marines are the ground forces of the Alliance Navy, the ones who land planet side and engage in combat, you know, from the dirt. Uh, the rest would be considered the Alliance Navy, the ships, the fighters, et cetera, et cetera. Um, as for reference to certain infantrymen being called soldiers, uh, I think that the writers used the term interchangeably without thinking. I don't think we should really look too far into that. Okay, that, that makes sense. Okay, so we know from Mass Effect 1 that um, aliens are wary of the human's political ambitions, which makes sense because it seems like we kind of jump right into the scene, right? How much of this anxiety is due to the military side of the alliance? Well, I think a fair amount, probably. Um, the results of the first contact war, humanity was vastly outnumbered and outgunned. They had inferior technology, and yet they dared to take back Shanxi anyway. Um, and the council regards the Alliance as a sleeping giant because only 3% of humans volunteer for military service. So their victory in the first contact war was with just 3% of their population. Most other species have a far larger percentage in the military. Um, so these things are probably cause for concern if you're already cautious of the newcomer who's ambitious and has considerable military might and mm -hmm. learns very quickly. It's it, it would all be things that would put you off, right? If there was a new kid on the block and all of a sudden you're like, uh, he's kind of a big threat. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but you know, at a, ma a more macro level, let's talk about their doctrine a little bit. Um, at a macro level, the Alliance military is focused much more on mobility and rapid deployment, not so much, um, on absorbing and dishing out heavy hits like the Turians and Krogan. Uh, so when they need to attack, According to the Codex itself, the Codex's entry on doctrine, the Systems Alliance, quote, bypasses enemy strong points and launches deep into their rear. <laughs> what? <laughs> I shit you not. So wait, 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 wait. So the military's main mode of attack is to sneak it in the dumper just go right in there they just okay by, bypass the strong points and launch deep into the rear okay, that so, is the alliance doctrine so have you heard of the uh the game that japanese school children play called i believe it's called Kamcha? Kancho. Kancho? yes where yeah, they go Kancho, yeah Kamcho, like that have you ever heard of this? Yeah. Yeah. Go. I, I've heard of this and it's, I don't know. I mean, to me, it sounds like a quick way to break your fingers. Yes. So they sneak up behind each other and their teachers. And oh my gosh, the teachers are in this too? Yes. Uh, there's a blog by an American, uh, African-American male teacher that I remember reading a decade ago about his experiences as an African-American male going to Japan to teach and one of his stories in his blog was the game Kamcho that that the Japanese children would play and they would do it to him as well 
<laughs> they would sneak up behind each other and their teachers and they would put their hands together like this. And you can see in the video with like their two fingers, their pointer and their middle fingers together. So they've got four fingers in like a little like gun position and they'd sneak up behind each other and they would then ram their fingers right up each other's butts and yell, come like that. And this was a thing that they did. And they would and do it to their teachers as well. You have bragging rights for yes. having Com stinky fingers. Come show your classmates and or teachers. <laughs> I showed him. Yeah. <laughs> I just rammed my fingers up that other person's butt. Yeah. Uh, whatever. I guess I, I'll never understand. So, um, so they, they use, it... they use the com show tactics of war. Yes. Also, yes. Also, the Alliance uses the Concha tactics. Also, I did quick math. If there were 10 billion people on earth, humans at the time, then their military at only 3% was 300 million people. Yeah. That's which a, is really not that of, many, but that's still a lot of freaking people. 300 million people is a lot of people, a lot of people in space. That's like, how do you that, put that many people in space? That's a lot of spaceships. Yeah, maybe it's only 3% because humanity doesn't have the resources to, to support yeah. more people in space. I mean, how many how many spaceships does that take? That's a lot of spaceships to put 300 million people on spaceships. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, that is a lot. You know, logistically speaking, that would be a nightmare. That's, um, that's the population. That's just under the population of the United States, all on spaceships. In space. In space. <laughs> Well, I guess not all of them are in space. A lot of the Alliance personnel are either planet side sure. or in space stations or they're, right. you know, on colonies and or on Earth. Even. We're, uh, or we're in space at some point. Yeah. Or we're in space at some point. Um, but, you know, the Alliance's concho tactics actually have a purpose. Uh, they help cut the supply lines. They damage the infrastructure and in oh, they, theory they, i mean they ram it up there far enough they're definitely going to damage your infrastructure <laughs> oh, they're definitely going to do some damage there yeah um and in theory it minimizes civilian casualties so that enemies just wither on the vine it's designed to attack enemy war making capability not enemy planets um that's the whole point so they're targeting um, they're targeting military resources specifically and industrial resources right yeah okay well, that um, makes sense that makes sense and that's that's a natural evolution of the way that war has been fought since world war ii um just attack the centers of industry attack all of these things um, defensively however the alliance has adopted one of sun Tzu's philosophies which is he who tries to defend everything defends nothing and what that means is basically the alliance keeps token garrisons at each colony and space station but it's not large forces of of, of people the alliance keeps those massive eight fleets that they have stationed at the galaxy's largest crossroads which are mass relays you know uh, aka the one the, the specific mass relays that link to the most systems so that they can respond to any colony under attack with the full might of their navy on a moment's notice hmm. interesting okay. so serious mobilization there and i imagine the deterrent is the threat of overwhelming force to any merc or pirate band who would dare to attack one of the colonies you know they're gonna have to go against basically the entire alliance navy 
Yeah, I mean, I, mm, I, I feel like as soon as you realize that that's the the plan, you could easily distract, know, distract, and then attack somewhere else, and then they either have to split or they commit fully to one, and then they can't get to the second one. But so that's actually what happens when yeah. the Reapers invade. Uh, the Reapers basically distract the Alliance and then make a beeline to Earth. Um, and that's part of why Earth gets overrun so fast, so quickly. Um, and uh, actually, the Fourth Fleet, as well as some other Alliance forces, are destroyed completely uh, in this whole uh, Reaper Blitz. Um, I might be wrong on that. It might be a numbered, uh, different numbered fleet, but at least, at least one of the fleets is completely destroyed. Um, this type of reflexive military approach is similar to what the U.S. Uh, has practiced for a long time. And it's also typical of a peacekeeping force. And it's also defensive in nature. I liken it to the martial art of Wing Chun. Uh, it's actually what uh, Ip Man practiced, the trainer of Bruce Lee, uh, because it responds to these attacks with incapacitating speed. And so I think that's a good uh, analogy you can make if for any uh, martial arts fans out there. Mm -hmm. The Alliance, you mentioned, you know, it would be very logistically difficult to support that many people in space. Well, I, I brought up that they probably have a lot of people planet side or in uh, other other places that are not on the front line because the Alliance takes advantage of a lot of tech like the Solarians do. They use a lot of drones, a lot of electronic warfare, a lot of technical support, and they're all assisted by VIs. Right. Wing Chun just makes me want to say everybody Wing Chun tonight. But um. <laughs> That's an old song. Okay, so we don't have too much time to get into the weeds or anything uh, about the individual ships and units in the Na in the Alliance Navy. But um, I wanted to ask you, because it, it's a question several of our listeners have sent us, um, do we know how the ships are named? In fact, we do. Uh, and it's a great question. And as many have picked up, there is indeed a rhyme and reason to the naming. Mm -hmm. There are four main categories of ships in the Alliance. They are Dreadnoughts. The Dreadnoughts are the big, beefy boys, the big, beefy battleships. The big, beefy, uh, buddy battleships? The big, big beefy, beefy battle, buddy boy battleships. Buddy, big, beefy battle buddy ships. No. All right. Sorry. Go on. There's also the frigates, which are the fast, smaller scout ships. The fast fighting. There's the fast Scout. fighting kung fu mm, ships that I can't do that one isn't going to work either sorry go on we have the cruisers which are heavier armed than a frigate however they're faster than a dreadnought and they form the backbone of most fleets and then finally we have carriers which are very similar in function to aircraft carriers nowadays uh, they carry fighters so the dreadnoughts in the alliance are all named after mountains Makes sense. If you have an 888 meter long spaceship, which one of the dreadnoughts in the Alliance actually is, that's almost a kilometer long. It's like that's the size a of a crazy size. Yeah. Yeah. It's the size of a mountain. Um, the cruisers are named for cities on earth. The frigates are named for some of humans history, human history's biggest battles. And the carriers are named after humanity's greatest leaders, artists, scientists, et cetera, et cetera. All of them share the SSV designation. SSV actually has a uh, meaning. It stands for Systems Alliance Space Vehicle. Mm. So every time you hear SSV Normandy, now you know 
stands for Systems Alliance Space Vehicle. Cool. Okay. And maybe, you know, now that I think about it, maybe that's why you never hear the Normandy referred to as SSV in Mass Effect 2. Because it's not an Alliance vehicle. Mm. It's a Cerberus one. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not theirs anymore. Well, it's, yep. it's not, it never was because it was remade. Right. It was the Normandy SR2 right. after that. So yeah. the Normandy SR2 was not created to be an Alliance uh, frigate. However, it was, you know, designed after the uh, first one with some quality of life upgrades. And to answer another specific question while we're on the topic of carriers um, by one of our listeners, Finrear, Finrear asked why the Alliance relies so heavily on carriers as opposed to dreadnoughts like other races in the Milky Way do. Well, we were spitballing some reasoning, you know, including the writers maybe having an affinity for World War II naval history um, and in, in the Pacific specifically. Um, in the Pacific specifically, try to say that five times fast. Uh, the U.S. used aircraft-centric fleet formations, whereas the Japanese still embraced what is called Mahanian naval theory. That just means that the fleets were built around big ships, big guns. These are the conversations, by the way, that you are all missing out on if you're not in the Discord. <laughs> nice. Um, and so we were kind of spitballing, throwing those ideas out. Maybe the writers just, you know, are really big, uh, history buffs. And maybe that's why, um, they let the Alliance, you know, rely so heavily on carriers. It was a callback to the American Navy in world war II. Well, no, that's not the case. I did some digging and it turns out the question has a really simple answer in the game. When the council had the Alliance sign the treaty of Ferrixen, the Alliance agreed to limit its production of dreadnoughts a move that the council uses to keep the Turians as, as superior and supreme galactic peacekeepers. Uh, the ratio of exactly of Turian to council to associate dreadnoughts is five to three to one, meaning for every five dreadnoughts, the Turians construct the Asari, the Salarians, and later the humans are allowed to construct three. All other Citadel races are only allowed to construct one for every five Turian dreadnoughts. So always skilled at finding loopholes, Alliance chiefs under the consultation of some seriously loaded galactic lawyers, I'm sure <laughs> sidestep this by increasing their carrier production. Carriers are not restrained by the treaty because prior to the prior to humanity really entering the scene, carriers were not utilized. Um, not like that. And they're not restrained by the treaty because their primary weapons are fighters, not these huge ship length mass accelerator cannons. They're, you know, they are very large ships, which house a bunch of fighters. I, I would say fighter jets, but they're not jets. Um, they house all of these fighters. And collectively, if they are protected by cruisers, I would imagine the naval theory would play out similar to how the World War II uh, engagements played out. Yeah. Yeah. Which if you're interested in that, there's a whole episode in uh, World War Two in color on Netflix about that. The whole uh, post um, uh, Pearl Harbor conflict with the, the Japanese and the way that things played out with carriers and why carriers became the predominant, most important ship in the in the Navy, um, which talks about that. So if you want to go look that up, go look it up because it might actually apply directly here as well, which is really cool. So, yeah, that's interesting. That's that's really neat. So I guess that wraps up the episode. 
Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we had some technical difficulties earlier, but we, we worked through it. We got to the end and by God, we're here. Um, and you know, we're looking, looking forward. Um, I'm thinking we have a, I I have a, a few immediate factions that I think we can cover now that we're at least done with the Alliance for now. Uh, and a few of them that come to mind are Cerberus, the specters, the blood pack. Um, those are a few just off the top of my head that I'm thinking of. If you're curious why we didn't go into the in seven designation and, and special forces, that's because there may or may not be a future episode all about the special forces of the Milky way. Ooh, the special Milky forces. <laughs> oh no, I don't, I don't want to Google that. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't Google that. Don't. Nope. No good. Well, thank you no for no idea what's going to come up for that. <laughs> yeah, don't don't Google that one. Uh, thank you for joining us. Oh no, Commander Sovereign in chat says too late. Don't do it. Don't do it. All right. Thank you for joining us, everybody. This is always super fun to have you guys here, especially those of you who can make it to the live episode. It's always fun to see your your comments and chat. And thank you for hanging out with us. You have anything going on coming up you want to share before we head out, Sam? Uh, well, assuming I can get my PC in line, uh, I was going to start streaming Mass Effect Legendary Edition, my insanity playthrough uh, with Fimshep from my PC. Uh, so that will be fun. And of course, my camera will work for that one. Um, let's just hope that uh, tech support can actually help me solve the problem. Let's hope it's not a big problem. Um, and the sooner it gets solved, the sooner I'm streaming on PC. But until then, I can wrap up my Mass Effect uh, three game. So mass effect male ship, uh, playthrough. I'm currently in the middle of the Corian geth war. So not sure how that one's going to play out. As I've mentioned before, I didn't secure Tally's loyalty in mass effect two. Um, that was on purpose, but we'll see how that plays out. If you want to follow along, follow me on Twitch. That's at in seven, the legend, um, at in seven, the legend on Instagram and Twitter as well. Um, and you know, that, that, that's about it for me. I mean, I'm really looking forward to next week. Of course, you know, we got the patron chat our, our very first mass effect trivia show and, um, pride and prestige are on the line, you know, as we get yeah. to find out who the top fan is, we, we get to yeah. find out who's been brushing up on their mass effect knowledge. This could go, this is go any way. You never know. It depends on the questions. It depends on who's, you know, got the info. We'll just, we're just going to have to see. So, uh, yeah, well, I hope things work out for your computer. I hope tech support's able to help out. I hope it's not a huge issue and hope, you know, worst case you send it back and you're able to get a replacement or buy something else, you know, but, uh, I'm sure things will work out eventually. It's just kind of a pain in the butt. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to start back up my, uh, just streaming while I work streams during the day. So I'll probably be on around eight 30 tomorrow morning. I'll be editing this podcast and, uh, some of the other podcasts I do doing some, uh, video editing some image editing for like thumbnails and things like that so if you want to come hang out with me i'd love to have the company it's fun to chat with people while i work also i'm happy to answer questions about any of the stuff i'm working about on content creation editing content uh questions about any of that stuff feel free to drop by and just hang out with me during the day while i work on stuff it's always fun to have you know people to chat with while I do that. So that's going to be here on my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash robots radio. And, uh, we'll see you guys next week. And if you want to come by tomorrow night, Monday nights, 10 30 
p.m. Eastern's time for uh, Sam and I, we do the Xbox Game Pass show. So we'll be talking about some of the new games on the Xbox Game Pass as well. So come check us out for that. You don't have to have the Xbox Game Pass to join us for that. And Xbox Game Pass, if you do, works on Xbox and on PC. And it also works for um, streaming games directly to your PC. Even if you don't have a graphics card, you can just, you know, do it over the Internet. So it's actually amazing. So but if you just want to find out about new games that are out, the things that you might want to try out, it's a wonderful podcast to listen even just for that stuff. So come join us for that tomorrow night. Same channel. And we'll see you guys next week. Talk about some more Mass Effect. So see you guys then. All right, everybody. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to the Mass Effect Lorecast. We'd love to hear your opinion and thoughts on the lore of Mass Effect. Reach out to us on Twitter at Mass Effect Cast or check out the Robots Radio Discord. Also, you can send us an email at MassEffectLorecast at gmail.com. Looking for an RPG podcast that isn't just D&D? Roll to cast is the answer. No, no, wait, sorry. What games have we played so far? Well, we've done Cyberpunk 2020. What does it mean to have a voice? And there's going to be something big coming, Chumba. Hey, if you're listening, I won. I beat you. You suck. There was a time when we were slamming things against our phones. and <laughs> Vampire the Masquerade. Chloe, Sam. You can't use those words. He's going to grab Vincent, press him against the wall. I mesmerize him. This is Adelaide's Anarch movement. First out of your chair, your hand goes to your gun and you draw. Hulk Cthulhu. Told you I had it. Oh, we've all got the creeps going. I love it so much. Right there. Screechy child. <laughs> my favorite daughter. Maybe after what we just seen, we're feeling a bit trigger happy. And the new Cyberpunk Red. Babe, you're good, but better. Thought maybe you might be able to give me a counter off. Straight through his neck. I don't see bone either, but I'm not gonna look. My leg's fine. I always knew you wanted to fly, kid. Come find me. Roll to cast. R-O-L-E. A new game every season. Original music. Original stories. Interviews with the creators. And delightful Aussie accents. Listen to us on all good podcatchers. Even support us on Patreon for bonus content. That's Roll to Cast. R-O-L-E. Come discover a new world. Following is a public service announcement from the Starter Set Dungeons & Dragons podcast. This is your D&D campaign. (sighs) This is the Starter Set podcast. You know how, like, poison frogs don't lick each other's backs? So it's Howl's Moving Castle mm-hmm. with a face. Mm. Hey there, I'm Great Mandibles. Because <laughs> one of the party speaks abyssal. You're all going to die. <laughs> and then adventure falls into your lap. Plop. This is your D&D campaign after listening to the Starter Set Podcast. So join Sam and Ed every Friday on the Starter Set Podcast for prime Dungeons & Dragons content. Any questions? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.